Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. And please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. We're going to cover 10 verses or so this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. It's a text in which we are privileged to catch a glimpse of a day in the life of Jesus. We get a glimpse of the daily priorities of Jesus. And while no two days of Jesus were exactly the same, just like no two days of ours are exactly the same, I I do think it's fair to conclude that um, the days of Jesus had a typical rhythm, a typical rhythm that reflected what was important to him. And here's why this matters to us. And in preaching, it's always important that we bring it back to the so what. Here's the so what. As those who profess to be disciples or followers or apprentices of Jesus, those words all mean the same, his priorities ought to be our priorities. Amen? What was important to Jesus ought to be important to us. And so with that background, would you please stand with me as I read the text, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we live in a culture and in a time where there is so much that is battling for our attention, battling for our time. And God, we confess that it's easy for us to get off course and to give our time and attention to things that are trivial, things that do not count for eternity, God, we need your help to be recentered in what matters to you. And so would you speak to us through this text this morning? I pray that it would not turn into some kind of legalistic formula, but that, God, it would be something that touches our hearts and gives us an appetite for you, first and foremost, and then for the things of the kingdom. So we ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, so what we have here in today's text is a day in the life of Jesus, revealing what was truly important to him and what ought to be truly important to us. And we see that the first of these daily priorities for Jesus was actually prayer. No surprise there, prayer. Um, Look at verse 35. The text began by saying, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed 
and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Priority number one for Jesus above all else was prayer. It was time with his Father. Now, it's important for us to remember what was going on right before this. Let me give you a a moment just to think about it. What did we just cover? What was going on right before? Well, it was a very busy day of ministry where Jesus, if you remember, preached in the synagogue. He delivered a man from spiritual bondage. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And then as if that weren't enough, we read in verse 32, to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city of Capernaum was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Now that is quite a day, is it not? A day that seems to have stretched well into the night. And I think we can anticipate with accuracy that Jesus in his humanness was likely running on fumes. Exhausted, hungry from all the day's activity, and certainly deserving of sleeping in the next day, right? And yet we read in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see, Jesus had a standing appointment with the Father, and nothing was going to keep him from that appointment. It was too important to him. It was too life-giving. It was too necessary for living powerfully and victoriously. So rather than get some much-deserved extra sleep, Jesus rose very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, where are my morning people? Raise your hand. You are my tiggers, right? You just bounce out of bed with a smile on your face and a song in your heart and knowing the daylight's out of the rest of us. We just want to punch you. (laughs) Now, in contrast, where are my Eeyores? Yeah, we don't spring out of bed. Rather, we kind of stumble and sometimes fall. And God help the person who talks to us before we've had our coffee, right? And that's not a picture of Christy, by the way, in in the morning. It's important to acknowledge that we're different, and we're pretty evenly divided here between morning people and not morning people, and mornings do come easier for some of us than others, which simply makes it, for those of you who are not morning people, it's just that much more rich of an expression of worship, is it not? God will appreciate that sacrifice of praise even more. You see, however, I, I do believe that whether you are a Tigger or an Eeyore, There is something biblically strategic about praying in the morning. There is something biblically strategic about praying in the morning. Now, you absolutely should pray throughout the day. And praying at night is great. But praying in the morning is biblically strategic. Listen to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 88, 13. He says, But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning my prayer comes before you. In the morning... Before I get busy, before I get preoccupied with other things, before I try to do things on my own and make decisions on my own, and then Psalm 119, 147 similarly says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. And then Psalm 5.3 is an important one to us today. We'll come back to it even again later. It says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. I love that. And watch. Whereas the NIV says, I wait expectantly with anticipation to see what God's going to do in the course of the day. 
And so you see, there seems to be something biblically strategic about praying in the morning. Both the psalmist and Jesus recognize the necessity of this, for they practice this. In church, I truly believe that if we're going to have powerful and victorious lives, we must recognize this necessity as well. Now, may you ask, what, what's so special about morning prayer? Okay, you've given us a couple examples of those who thought it was important, but what is so special about morning prayer? Why is it that even if I'm an Eeyore and I'm not a morning person, that I should do absolutely whatever it takes to pray in the morning? Well, I think there's at least three things, and I'm confident that there are more, but number one is this. Morning prayer provides focus for the day. Morning prayer provides focus for the day. And if, if there was ever a time in the history of the world that we need focus, it is today. We live in a culture of constant, incessant distraction, do we not? Of beeps and buzzes and notifications that are try, constantly trying to capture our attention and divert our attention from what matters most, which is first and foremost our attention to God. And church, that is exactly what Satan wants. You know, if he can try to get us to do really bad things, if he can just distract us, if he can just distract us with the trivial or that which doesn't really matter, if he can distract us from God to drown out the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, Satan's won. He can cause us to lose sight of the priorities of the kingdom by giving so much priority and attention to things that are so much lesser and at the end of the day don't really matter. See, morning prayer is, a, is special because before all of the beeps and buzzes and notifications, before they begin, it provides us a God-centered focus for the day. Just as it says in that old course, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Do we need that? We need it desperately. We desperately need the things of earth to grow strangely dim because all that comes against us is causing us to try to immerse ourselves in those things. So praying in the morning helps us to accomplish this, that. It, it protects us from distraction. It also... Number two, morning prayer provides direction for the day. It provides direction for the day. We have more choices to make than ever before. Did you know that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions every day? 35,000 decisions. And I would say because of technology and because we live in a land of many options, because we land of an, uh, with many material things, we have lots and lots of decisions to make probably more than ever before in the history of the world. Now, granted, not every choice has equal weight. You know, whether I have cornflakes or Cheerios is not one of those eternally significant decisions, but it is a decision. And in light of this high-tech age of the internet and smartphones, in which I've heard it said, and it's overwhelming when you think about it, that, that smartphone in your pocket, it's like having infinity in your pocket. It's really quite overwhelming. We were, as human beings, made to have infinity in our pockets. Our brains were not made for that. We're not equipped for that. Certainly our kids are not equipped for that. And you've heard the studies recently about kids and depression and kids and anxiety and kids' mental health, and we're not helping them by putting infinity in their pockets. They're overwhelmed with decision fatigue. And when we get tired, we make some pretty bad decisions, don't we? Why does this matter? Because at the end of the day, and it's so true, life is the sum 
of all your choices. Life is the sum of all your choices. And so in those 35,000 decisions that we make in a day, again, not all of them are of equal weight, but the, the truth of the matter is one decision does kind of lead to another, doesn't it? They're all kind of in a chain, and they all add up to a trajectory in our lives. And so even the food, I, I made light of the food decision, but our food decisions do have impact. They do matter, and they do have consequences. And our lives are the sum of all of our choices, Therefore, it's imperative that we make right choices to go in the right direction. And morning prayer, before we start making those decisions, provides divine direction. God knows the way. He knows the future. What an opportunity that we have to be tied into him, abiding in him, to receive that direction for the day. A third reason that morning prayer is so special is because morning prayer provides power for the day. Power for the day. And we talk a lot around here about the fact that we are in a daily battle, a real daily spiritual battle that Satan takes far more seriously than we do. We're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're bombarding us, coming against us with everything that they have. And this daily battle requires resources far beyond ourselves. Therefore, it's imperative that before we venture into the day, before we venture into this battle, that we put on the spiritual armor, right? Oh, the number of days when I have stumbled out of the house unprepared without the armor on, and then I wonder, well, gee, why did I get attacked that way? Why did I not respond effectively that way? Well, because I wasn't prepared for battle. My armor wasn't on. And, you know, it's interesting, and it sounds funny to say, even Jesus needed this. Now, I feel like I'm on shaky ground anytime I say Jesus needed something. But the truth of the incarnation, that Jesus became flesh, that he became human, is that he voluntarily set aside the independent use of his divine attributes. So in that sense, Jesus is like us, and he needs certain things. And he fully relied on the Holy Spirit and also on the Father. He relied on the plan of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in John 5, 19. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And then in verse 30, just a little bit later, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So you can see why to Jesus, morning prayer was so important. It was his lifeline to the Father. It's where he got direction from the Father and received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And church, here's the thing, right? Listen, if Jesus needed morning prayer for focus, for direction, and for power, how much more do we need it? How much more do we need it? Some of you are old enough to remember the uh, American Express card tagline, remember? Don't leave home without it. To a greater degree, so much greater degree, it's true of us in prayer. Or as Spurgeon said, look no man in the face till thou hast seen the face of God. Speak thou with none till thou hast had speech with the Most High. So we see here in our passage today, that is the first daily priority of Jesus. It is prayer. Priority number two was preaching the word, the gospel. Look with me at verse 36. 
says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. You can almost hear the annoyance in Simon's voice, can't you? The, the crowds who had experienced healing the day before, remember that long list, of, they're looking for more. More miracles, more signs, more wonders. Jesus, give us more. And Simon is feeling the pressure to please the crowd to give them what they want. After all, if Jesus is going to be a political Messiah, he needs to ride and build this wave of popularity. He needs to continue to build his base by giving the people what they want. But watch what Jesus says in verse 38. He said to them, well, let's go on to the next towns then, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, the, the, the crowds in Capernaum, they're clamoring for more, more, more. And so Jesus said, then it's time to move on. Why? Because as awesome as the healings were, the miracles, the signs and wonders, they were not the point. Rather, the point to Jesus, the reason he says that he came was to preach the gospel. Remember what Jesus said way back in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. It says, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is why Jesus came, to preach the gospel, the message that sinful humanity, which is us, all humanity, is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. For my scriptures tell me that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his very own blood to take away the sins of the world. That was the point, and that was the main reason that Jesus came. Not the healings, not the miracles. They only pointed to the reality and to the message of why Jesus came. For you see... Jesus did not come to wow the people as much as they wanted to be wowed, and they wanted more and more and more, but he came to save the people. As we mentioned last week, all those physical healings on earth, they're great. I, I, I long for and pray for more physical healing to take place in our church body and beyond. I want that, and I think it's fine to want that, but every physical healing on earth is ultimately temporary. If we get healed from one thing, we're going to probably at some point get sick with something else, and we're all going to die until, unless Jesus comes back first. But spiritual healing, guess what? That lasts forever. It lasts forever. And so Jesus went on a preaching tour, if you will, in the synagogues of Galilee. That was kind of his strategy. We even see uh, the Apostle Paul employ a similar strategy in his missionary endeavors, but he went on a preaching tour of Galilee, and you remember that Galilee is that northernmost section there. Um, it's 60 miles long, 30 miles wide, but in that fairly condensed region, there were 250 towns concentrated there. So it was a really strategic place for Jesus to go from synagogue and synagogue and town to town and preach the gospel. And while this tour here is described in Mark with only one verse, it probably took weeks or even months to accomplish, further revealing the priority that preaching the gospel was to Jesus. So 
In a day in the life of Jesus, we have two priorities so far. We begin the day with prayer and then the priority of preaching the word of God, the gospel, because that lasts forever. Priority number three was people, was people, verses 40 through 45. So let's look at verse 40. Wonderful, remarkable story about a man in great need. Mark 1.40 says, and a leper came to him. Let that sink in for a minute. It's just a couple words, but there's a whole lot wrapped up in that short phrase. For you see, at that time in history, leprosy was arguably the worst of all possible diseases because it meant a slow, terrible death in which there was such excessive damage to nerves and to tissue that entire body parts were known to just fall off, if you can imagine. The Jewish historian Josephus said, a leper was in no way different than a corpse. You were literally the living dead as a leper. And as if these physical aspects of the disease were not bad enough, the social aspect of it was even worse, because here's the deal. Upon diagnosis, a leper was cast out of their home, cast out of their family, their spouse, their children, their extended family. They were cast out of society and doomed to live a life of isolation. Um, it, It was so bad that whenever a leper was within 50 feet of someone. You know the deal. It was required that they shout, unclean, unclean. How, how humiliating. How absolutely humiliating. And I, I can only imagine the, um, the response of people, the disgust. Such was the plight of the man that we have here in this text where it says in verse 40, a leper came to him. A leper came to Jesus which means that the leper is breaking all the rules right here. Rather than keep the distance mandated by the law, the leper blows right through the limitations. He comes right up to Jesus. Why? Because he's so desperate, so needy, so tired of being a walking corpse, so tired of living this way. Does that phrase resonate with any of you today? Are you so tired of living this way? The leper, imploring Jesus and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. First thing I want you to notice is with what posture does the leper come to Jesus? Kneeling, which is the universal posture of humility. The leper acknowledges one greater than himself. Reminding us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's something significant here about the leper kneeling. You know, it's, it's true. We can pray in any posture. You can walk. You can stand. You can lay prostrate. Pro, I always get those mixed up. Prostrate. Not prostate. Um, not the same thing. But I, I think one of the things as is, is Protestant evangelicals, sometimes we minimize is the, the significance of physical posture when we pray. That there is perhaps something. We, we, are, we are beings with physical bodies. We are whole. We are units. And there is something about kneeling which communicates a posture, an attitude of the heart when it comes to humility. And so I, I would just even challenge you in regard to that, maybe even your own quiet time at home. Certainly you can sit in your recliner and you can pray. That's typically what I do. Um, but there's something at times about 
our physical posture. And so here's this man kneeling before Jesus, acknowledging his greatness and his need, and he begs Jesus for cleansing. And he also demonstrates a really good theology of healing. I think this is right on. Imploring him, it says, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So the leper acknowledges the omnipotent power of Jesus. Word had somehow reached the leper that this Jesus, the Christ, had come, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the very Son of God is here, and he's doing marvelous things. He's doing miracles and healings. And the lepers somehow knew that nothing was too difficult for Jesus, even the healing of leprosy. But there is this phrase used by the leper, which demonstrated humble surrender and ought to be part of our prayer as well. Humble surrender when he says, if you will, if you will. Church, I don't know why Jesus sometimes heals today and why he sometimes doesn't heal today. I know that his ways are higher than my ways His ways are higher than our ways. And I also know that his ways are always and ultimately for our good, as hard as that is to understand, and his glory. We mentioned last week that illustration with Johnny Erickson Tata, and we recognize the good that God has worked in and through that situation, perhaps in ways that would have never occurred had she been healed physically here on this earth in this life. And so why God does what he does, I I often don't understand or know, but I trust his character because his word is true and his character is good. And like the leper, I know that he can heal. I know that he does heal. And it is very appropriate, as I said earlier, for us to pray for healing today because we love each other and we have compassion for one another. But at the same time, how important it is for us to kneel before him and surrender to his good and perfect will, even if that means that in this life, at this moment, he says, no, no. Well, what will Jesus do with the leper? We read in verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand. And what did he do? He touched him. Two beautiful things here, revealing the beautiful character of Jesus. First, Jesus is moved with pity. And I just want to encourage with you, you with this today. The Greek word is splankna, which literally means it refers to the bowels, the physical bowels of an individual. It comes from deep, deep within. Um, for the most part, the leper, the leper made the stomach's turn of the people with disgust, Right? The stomach of Jesus was turned with compassion for the leper. Compassion. And church, know this today. I know some of you are going through just absolutely horrendous circumstances right now. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and he is moved with compassion just as he is with the leper. Oh, how he loves you. He feels your pain. When you hurt, he hurts. He loves you so very much. And so in his great compassion here for the leper, Jesus did the unthinkable, just as we just mentioned. He touched him. Jesus touched the leper. Hard to think of anything in that culture more scandalous than Jesus touching a leper. And it's important to know that Jesus could have just healed him with a word, right? 
Jesus created the universe with a word. Certainly, he can heal a leper with a word. Why did Jesus then touch him? Well, I think it was so that the leper would not just be healed physically, but so that the leper would experience the love of Jesus. No doubt, this was the first physical touch that this individual had experienced in probably years. Can you imagine? And now, here was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, touching him with perfect love and compassion. Back to verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And then verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Just like that. This man who was a walking corpse now is restored to life, and he has experienced firsthand, personally, the loving touch of Jesus the Christ. Well, then Jesus gives him some instructions in verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him, sternly charged him, and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Two questions arise here. Number one, why would Jesus sternly charge him not to say anything to anyone? Well, because of what happened in Capernaum, right? The crowds would come looking, the looky-loos or those who were there for the healings and the signs and the wonders rather than salvation, the primary reason that Jesus came. They would look to make Jesus a political savior rather than a spiritual savior. In short, they would attempt to derail Jesus from his mission of preaching the gospel. And Jesus certainly didn't want that. So that's why Jesus charged him not to say anything. Question number two, why would Jesus tell the leper to go and show himself to a priest? Well, because that was required by law for the leper to reenter society. The priest would have the final say on whether this was a legitimate cleansing and whether the individual could once again join in community. So the priest had a big say in this, and so it was required that the leper do this. But what does the man do? Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that, here's the consequence, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, so it's hard to blame him, all right? I have very little judgment for this man in regard to what he had just experienced. Can you imagine being a cleansed leper and then not trying to tell anybody about it? He just couldn't help himself. But what Jesus said would happen or Concern that it would happen is actually what happened. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. It, it became very difficult as a consequence for Jesus to fulfill his primary mission of preaching the gospel. Now, here's the irony, right? Jesus told the leper, don't tell anyone about me. And the leper does. What does Jesus tell us? Go tell everyone about me. And so often, what do we do? We don't. Um, very ironic. Well, we've seen in today's passage, again, a day in the life of Jesus, his priorities of prayer, preaching, and people. Let's shift gears, talk about application. How should we then live? Point number one, I believe, is this. Win the morning. Whether you're a Tigger or an Eeyore, win the morning. For I am fully convinced that if you win the morning, you will win the day. Now, when I say win, what am I talking about? I mean pray. I mean pray. Remember the three reasons why morning prayer is so special. It brings focus. It brings direction. It brings power. We cannot live victoriously without these things. 
Now, I know we're very, very busy people. That's also part of our cultural experience right now. We are very busy people. But I would challenge you with the words of Martin Luther. He says, I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. Similarly, there's a contemporary book on prayer entitled Too Busy Not to Pray. It could easily be argued that the busier you are, the more necessary it is to pray. Now, do I believe it's necessary to be Martin Luther and spend three hours in prayer? I know some of you already get up at oh dark 30, right? And you're like, well, that'd mean I would just never go to bed. No, but you could do a few simple things. A few very simple things. Rather than turn on the TV in the morning, as we are prone to do, and watch uh, Adam Bartlemé and uh, what's the girl's name? I can't remember. Anyway, rather than turn on the TV in the morning, you could open your Bible. You could have a personal conversation with God. Rather than turn on the radio on your drive to work or school or wherever it is that you're going, you could talk to God instead. There's some very simple things that by saying no to the noise, we can say yes to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and those things could be revolutionizing in your life. Such little things can have a great impact on winning the morning. Remember, your life is the sum total of your choices. And so even those little choices of turning on the TV, turning on the radio, of doing this or doing that, they can have major, major consequences. As we experience the focus, direction, and power that we need to win the day. Number two, um, preach. Preach. And you say, Chad, that's your job, right? You're the preacher. That's what we pay you to do. But the truth of the matter is, and we know it, we're all meant to be preachers, to share the good news of the gospel with others. And all of our lives, if we'll admit it, are preaching some kind of sermon. It's just a matter of what kind of sermon are you preaching Are we preaching the good news of the gospel, or are we preaching something else? And yes, the gospel does require words. For those of you who think, well, I can just be a good person, and that'll be testimony enough. That is not accurate. The gospel is a literal message of truth that must be verbalized. No one is going to be able to cross the line of faith and make it to heaven because you're a good person. It doesn't work that way, which is going to cause some of you to say, Chad, I can't do that. I'm too afraid. I don't know what to say. And that takes us back to application point number one. Because everything we need to be those who preach through our lives and through simple testimony with our friends and neighbors is received from God through prayer, including the audience. Did you know that? Remember Psalm 5.3? Um, that we mentioned earlier, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. I watch. I wait expectantly with anticipation because you see what the psalmist is saying um, is that when I pray, God acts. God does stuff. And I get to see what God's going to do today. And one of the things that God is likely going to do if you bring to him this mandate to preach is he's going to provide opportunity. He's going to provide people. He's going to provide divine appointments. And in some cases, it's almost going to be like, I feel like I'm cheating. That was too easy. The soil was already cultivated. This person came and they were ready. They were willing. We pray. And then we watch. And we see throughout the day how God is going to move. Who is he going to bring into my life? What divine appointments? That's what morning prayer does. It sets us up to approach each day with anticipation. And that makes following Jesus a wonderful adventure, does it not? Oh, people who say being a Christian is boring. It's like, well, then you're not, you don't really get it. 
Do you think those disciples who followed Jesus on a daily basis, was that boring? It was hard. It was painful, but it was anything but boring. So, win the morning, preach number three, touch the unclean. Touch the unclean. And here, I'll define as unclean as those who are outside of your comfort zone. Anyone who's not like you, especially the people that you normally wouldn't hang out with, perhaps people that deep down you despise. You've got people like that. I know you do. We all do. For the fact that we despise any other human being, what does that reveal about us? I think it reveals our pride, our judgmentalism, and even our lack of understanding of what we have really received in the gospel. Anytime we set ourselves up or elevate ourselves above someone else, I think it really demonstrates and displays, you don't really get the gospel, do you? You don't really get what you've been given. The magnitude of your sin, your offense to a holy God, and that he has saved you marvelously by your grace, by his grace. To overcome our pride and be like Jesus, it's important that we intentionally seek, pray for, opportunities to touch the unclean. For it is in those moments, guess what? That's when we're most like Jesus. And I believe it's therefore when we most experience Jesus. I found this picture on social media this week. Maybe one of you posted it. I don't know. I'm not interested in whether you've stood with the great. I'm interested in whether you've sat with the broken. We don't naturally gravitate toward the broken. We naturally gravitate toward people who are like us and who are easy to get along with and who have their stuff in order. And It's not what Jesus did. It's not what he's called us to either. So, win the morning, preach, touch the unclean. They all go together. They're all rooted in number one. And I, I honestly believe, as has already been communicated today, a, a jump start for all of this is tonight's prayer summit. Um, it's a night of reverence, response, and request rooted in Psalm 34, including a, a time of ministering to one another in prayer. Some of these um, things today might reveal some needs in our own hearts and lives that we want to pray for, receive prayer for. We'll be anointing people with oil who so desire. And uh, let me just be very, there will be child care. So some of you are saying, oh, I would be there, but the, the kids make it hard. There is child care tonight. So please don't let anything stand in the way of being there tonight. Um, so please plan on joining us for this important time of ministry. Six o'clock, right here in the sanctuary. We just want to come together and pray. We're not trying to be Asbury, although that wouldn't be—that'd be all right, wouldn't it? But that's not. We're just showing up as they did in that Asbury service that went on and on. We're just showing up and saying, "God, we need you. We need you." Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We do need you. And there isn't one of us in this room who is strong enough on our own to live victoriously on our own. And so, God, would you please, please, please just reaffirm that these are not new concepts by any means. But, God, it's the old truths that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis because those old truths are so foundational. So, God, would you give us courage and strength to do hard things? There is such a strong gravitational pull towards safety and comfort. And yet we watch Jesus. That is not how he lived. And so God, would you give us the courage to pray and say, God, take us to hard places. Take us to the Jesus places and to the Jesus people. People who need a touch. 
which inevitably is going to be out of our comfort zones, but God, take us there. May we be willing to pray that prayer. And God, for those who are struggling, those who are hurting this morning, God, I pray that you would be a healing balm that would bring relief and help to them in their time of need. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.